0: If you have your Bibles turn to 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18 and I'm going to read this passage for you. Uh, For those of you who want to follow along the passage will be up on the screen as well. 1st Thessalonians chapter 4 verses 13 to 18. Brothers we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will write first, And after that, we who still are alive are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. Let's pray. Father, uh, we're going to be looking at this passage in which a very difficult question is going to be asked. And that question is, what happens to those who die when you come back again? Are they going to be joining you, or are they just dead forever? Or for those of us who are still alive when you come back, what's going to happen to our bodies? Uh, Are we going to meet you, or are we going to die too? These are all questions that the early church were asking. And so we pray, Lord, that you would uh, guide us as we look into your word. And thank you again for our church, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, many years ago, there was a commercial. When I was a, a little kid growing up, and some of you who are old like me may remember this. It's a Heinz commercial, Heinz ketchup. And you guys, uh, do you guys remember this, some of you? <laughs> some of you are looking at me and say, you're really old, because that, that was back in the 80s, 70s and 80s. And there was a song in the background when this ketchup would uh, would be open and the the. The ketchup would slowly come down from the ketchup bottle onto the hamburger or or the hot dog, and it would be a song sang by a Carly Simon song from 1970. Does anybody know the song? Okay, some of you? Okay, it's called anticipation right Richard and I are really old so so he knows all the answers that I know but anticipation was a song that that you would hear and Carly Simon would say anticipation is making me late is keeping me waiting this idea of wanting something so bad like ketchup on your hamburger well for most of us, when we think about anticipation, we think about a lot of different things, right? Some of us are anticipating for that new movie that we've been waiting for years to come out. Or the end of a television series. Or maybe uh, the, the last book of a chronicle. And, and so anticipation is that eager waiting for something. And I think when you think about anticipation... Uh, we think about uh, that it is something that, that, man, I can't wait to get it. And so the question is, is anticipation actually a good thing? Well, according to researchers from UC Berkeley and Cornell University, uh, they determined that anticipation for the right things actually brings joy and meaning and happiness to a person's life. In other words, a recent paper by uh, the uh, scientists, um, human sciences. In uh, psychological science found that the term of happiness experiences outranks even the things that you spend on material things so anticipating things that are experience oriented are better than anticipating for a like a new ps5 that's coming out or xbox whatever next series is out so material things are not as uh happy in terms of your experience but anticipating things that are Things like going to a a concert or, or, (coughs) excuse me, going on your first date or some sort of going on your vacation. That type of (coughs) anticipation actually can be good for you. Uh, In this particular um, press release, they said this, people may think about future experiences in more abstract ways that can make them more significant and more gratifying. For example, it is also possible that waiting for an experience induces less competition than waiting for material goods. Finally, anticipating experiences may confer greater social benefits, making people feel more connected and happier overall. So if a bunch of people are waiting together, anticipating for something that is good, then you actually feel the sense of, of, of joy and happiness in your life. So let me ask you, what are the top 10 things that you anticipate for? Well, I bet you there's one thing that none of you in this room are anticipating. And that is dying. Nobody wants to die. And so you see this casket in which we are lying there. And nobody is anticipating that. That's not something that we look forward to. And so the question for us is this. As death is a part of Every human experience, all of us at some point will die. How do we see death? For some of us, we see death as being final. In other words, we see death as being the end of all our our existence. And so the world says that since you're going to die, whoever dies with the most toys wins. In other words, because death is the end, just live it up. Now, that, that may sound like good advice to those who are wealthy or those who have it all, or those who have enough means to live it up. But majority of the people in the world, when they hear that, laugh and say, there's no way I can live it up. I have a 50-hour-a-week job. I have a, I have a family to support. Or I, I'm living in a one-bedroom apartment. There's no way I can live it up. And so you're just struggling day to day. Or what about those of us who are sort of on the other side of of, of life, where we're born with a disability, or we're born with such a disadvantage, whether it's poverty or being born in a a particular uh, family background, that we don't have the opportunity or the experiences to succeed. Is it fair for us? And so when you think about anticipation, when it comes to death, all of us will experience death at some point. And the reality is how we view death matters and how we view our life. Now, some of you are, most of you are young in this room, um, so our, our maybe experience of death may be uh, very small. Maybe some of us have experienced death, you know, a loved one, a parent, a sibling, uh, uncle, grandparents, and when you experience death, there's something that happens, is not it? You begin to see the finality of your own life. When I was a young pastor, um, one of my uh, sort of, transformative experiences was I was uh, in my early 20s and my senior pastor I was an associate pastor of a church in Washington DC asked me to go visit this woman her name was Kumi Kumi was um, an amazing woman she was a mother of of two little children Uh, she was a nutritionist by her background her husband was a pretty uh, well-accomplished physician They lived the American dream. They they had this big house. They had two kids. They were smart. And the reason my pastor asked me to visit Kumi was Kumi was faced with an illness, actually a terminal illness. She had found out she had cancer. Now, you think about this. This woman who had her whole life ahead of her, two kids, a husband, a nutritionist, who exercised every single day was stricken with, with terminal cancer. When I went to visit Kumi, her personality was was amazing. She had a, the biggest smile on her face. She had a head scarf as she, her had, all her hair had fallen out of chemotherapy. And when I went to her, she had a question for me. She goes, Pastor Ray. Can you tell me about heaven? What does heaven look like? Can you tell me about what what death is like? And I remember as a young pastor in my 20s, single guy, life experience wasn't that, I I hadn't experienced that much of life, and I would begin to share with her verses in the Bible. And it, it reminded me how powerful for her it was that no matter what life threw at us, that there was a greater reality Well, a few months later, um, I got married. Uh, My wife and I, I met her in California. We did our honeymoon in Hawaii. And the first thing we got to do when we came back to D.C. is I got the news in our honeymoon that Kumi had passed away. So the first thing that my wife and I did when we flew back to D.C. was to be a part of this funeral. And I thought about that funeral. How for so many, when you come to a funeral you almost feel like you get hit with a sort of a a brick wall, that you you just are are, are stunned. You don't know what to do. And for us as Christians, I think this is the question that we have to ask, is what is the purpose, what's the meaning of death? Because we live in a society in which the more money you have, the longer you want to prolong life. And so we medicate ourselves. We try to sort of sort of change our facial experience, uh, appearance. We try to inject our veins with, with uh, chemicals so that we can prolong this thing called life. But for a Christian, what do we anticipate? Billy Graham once said, I look forward to death with great anticipation to meet God face to face. See, I think death really brings one of two responses. One of a hopelessness or one of anticipation and so this is the question that the early church were asking they were asking the question uh, Paul had come into Thessalonica preaching the gospel the Jews became Christians the Gentiles became Christians and this little church was given birth in this little city of Thessalonica and as they're excited about this newfound faith things were happening where they're sharing the gospel God was doing wonders and and then one by one as Paul got kicked out of the city they were dying Some probably were being persecuted, some were being murdered, and some were maybe just dying of old age. And so their biggest question that they were asking Paul was, Paul, what's going to happen to us when we die? Is there more to life than death? You see, Paul had been preaching to the Thessalonians about this good news about Jesus. Not only did Jesus die for our sins, not only did he resurrect, but here's the third part of the gospel is that Jesus will be coming back. And so the question that they were asking was the question, if Jesus is going to come back, then what about me? Who, what about my uh, parents who died? Or what about me if I die? Am I going to be in heaven? Or is that it? Well, this is the question that Paul is going to answer. And Paul is going to remind us something about death and about The meaning of death and and the resurrection in Jesus. So the first question, or really, let me give you sort of the summary of the sermon. The anticipation of Christ's second coming, coming back, gives us hope beyond death and encouragement in life. The anticipation of Christ coming back gives us hope beyond death and encouragement in life. For a Christian, Christ gives us or the anticipation of seeing him gives us hope beyond our death so there are a few things that I want to point out in this passage number one the bottom line is that we all have a destiny with death this is something that that human experience tells us that all of us no matter how much we want to prolong our life we we can't that all of us will, will die. And so in 1 Thessalonians 4:13, he says, "Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant of those who fall asleep." Now, falling asleep was an euphemism uh, for death. And so when a person would die, uh, a nice way to say that is uh, they look like they're sleeping, their eyes are closed. Uh, and, but for a Christian, that was an important euphemism because it reminded us that death is a transition. It's temporary. It's not permanent. But notice how those who respond, those who are not believers, he says, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. One of the things that death does for us is it reminds us where our hope lies. As I said, everyone is going to die. Hebrews 9.27 reminds us, just as a man is destined to die once, And then after that, face judgment. There are two certainties, right? There's death and there's judgment. (laughs) The reality of death is that it's going to face all of us. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verses 1 to 3 says, So I reflected on this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and those who are in God's hands, but no one knows whether love or hate awaits him. Verse 2, all share a common destiny. The righteous, the wicked, the good, the bad, the clean, the unclean. Those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so is with the sinner. As it is those who take oaths, so it is those who are afraid to take them. And then in verse 3 he says, it doesn't matter where you are or what you do. All of you will join the dead. Pretty sobering, isn't it, to think about it? I remember when I was a young pastor, uh, Swindoll used to always tell me that nobody listens to a wedding sermon, but everybody listens to a funeral. Because everybody is attentive to say, this is, this is going to be me one day. Death is our destiny. So the question uh, of death is that all of us are going to die. And some of us think our, our, our death really does have meaning. But here's the funny thing about death. Nobody's going to remember you after you die. Now some of you say, oh, that, that's not true. Look at all these famous people. Well, according to um, uh, Cesar Hildelgo, he's a director of collective learning at MIT. He did research on to see throughout history how famous people, how long their memory lasted. He de- developed a data set that ranks historical figures by popularity. For example, who was the most uh, famous player of their time? Uh, Back in 1904, it was a guy named Rene Lacoste. He said this, after he looked at all the factors, you know how long your death is remembered? Five to 30 years, and that's it. Unless you're like a real historical figure, nobody remembers when you die. Nobody cares. And that's the sad futility of life, isn't it? That nobody really cares. And so if life is just about the here and now, then for most of us, there's injustice. Because we're not going to live like the top 1%. We're not going to live it up. We're just just struggling every day. So the question for us is, is there something more to life than just death? Well, I like what he says in the next verse. The basis of our hope beyond death is Jesus. The point that he's making is in verse 14. He says, we believe... That Jesus died and rose again. And we believe that God will bring Jesus, those who have fallen asleep, in him. Jesus is the reason that death is not final. In other words, because of Jesus' death and because of Jesus' resurrection and because of Jesus' coming back again, it gives us hope that there is more to this reality than, than the reality that we're experiencing, than this life. The gospel, the good news, reminds us of this that our lives matter before God. But it also reminds us our death matters before God. And Jesus demonstrated his power over death by resurrecting. So for us as Christians, our greatest hope lies in this person of Jesus. That's who we believe. That's who we worship. Because Jesus is the one who is able to conquer death. The power of our salvation is not in ourselves, in our ability to do good things. The power of the gospel is to recognize how separate and how sinful we are, how desperate in need of God. And Jesus provided the opportunity to have us to give life. And so the critical nature of our faith lies with one fact. And that fact is this, that Jesus rise from the dead. Because if Jesus rose from the dead the resurrection happened, then life and death matter. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, that everything we believe is just a masquerade. It's just a bunch of lies. So the resurrection really is an objective fact. Either it happened or it didn't happen. It's an objective reality. And so it, can be, it can't be true for one person and not for another. Uh, Sean McDowell, who is the son of the apologist Josh McDowell, gives a great illustration. He says this, the difference between objective reality and subjective opinion is this. If you place a, a, a jar of marbles in front, he goes, in front of my students, how many marbles are in, the, in this jar? The jar, with, ha, people have different guesses. 222, 168, and so on. And then he says the exact number is 188. And, and then he says, Who came to closest? And one student raises her hand and says, uh, I had 168. Well, the objective fact is that your reality is determined by how many marbles are in there. It doesn't matter how what you think it is. But he, then he says, He passes out sun kissed candies to each student. And then he asks the question which flavor is right? As you might expect, as they uh, were tasting, everybody had a different opinion. Each person had a preference, what was right and what was wrong. And he says, that is correct. The right flavor has to do with person's preference. It's a matter of subjective opinion and personal preference, not objective fact. So here's the point. Either Jesus rose from the dead, which is objective, or he didn't, which is objective. There's no middle ground. And so for us as Christians, we place our hope in in the Savior of all of mankind, that Jesus lived, died, and rose again. And if Jesus rose again, then this also is important, that Jesus will come back again. And so our life, our death, our personhood matters to God because of Jesus. You know, the greatest element of the gospel is that Jesus has conquered death. I love how in First Corinthians 15, it ends with that quote of, Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? But not only does death um, is based on the uh, person and work of Jesus, the belief in the second coming gives us hope for the living. He doesn't stop with those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. Notice this in verse 15 to 18. According to the Lord's own words, we tell you that we who still are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. And after that, here's the thing, those who are still alive will be caught up in the air with him. Now... For some of us who've grown up uh, in the 70s, uh, there was a movie that, that everybody was scared to watch. It was called Thief in the Night. Now, some of you who are old like me, you're laughing at that because it was a movie made in the 60s and 70s where everybody dressed in um, flower uh, prints. They had mini skirts, it was, uh, long hair. It was a hippie movie. But the premise of the movie was it was called Thief in the Night. <laughs> the premise of the movie was that Jesus was going to come back, and he was going to scare uh, the living daylights out of everybody? And what happened was that the Antichrist was going to come. All the Christians are going to go up, and if you were left behind, you were going to suffer like crazy. And so, you know what happened to a lot of the youth groups back then? We all became Christians. <laughs> we all became Christians because we we're all scared to die, and we don't want the Antichrist to persecute us. And so, so we all like became Christians because of that. But I mean, there's nothing wrong with scaring people into the kingdom, I guess. But here's the problem: is that that doesn't last long. But Paul here is not scaring us into the kingdom. He's actually giving us a positive example of what's going to happen when Jesus comes back. The dead has priority. Actually, he's actually giving value to those who have died for their faith. He so says they will be resurrected first, and then secondly, those who are still alive will be raptured in heaven. Now. Uh, If you've ever heard of the idea of rapture, it comes from actually the Latin word meaning to be caught up. It it simply is describing this event. And so some of us have sensationalized this word. You know, you've seen movies like Left Behind or read books on that. I I, I don't think it's going to be that sensational. But here's what's going to happen. Those whom Jesus, when Jesus is going to come back, he's going to bring up those who are still alive. I have no idea how that's going to all work. But I do know this, that the time of Christ when he comes back, he'll come like a thief in the night. What, 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 the way Jesus described it, he's going to come like a surprise. He's not going to come and, and he's going to give you a forewarning. It's just going to happen. And, and here's the way I, I believe God calls us to live. That God calls us to live in a spirit of immediate expectation and anticipation for Christ's return. You know what happens when Christ comes back? When you least expect it. Is that he's gonna, boom, send up his kingdom here on earth. And as a Christian, that mentality gives me a spirit of waiting. Because you you have no idea when things are gonna come to an end, right? Last year, uh, the state of Hawaii was in for a shock. You guys hear this on the news in July of last, uh, 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 or or January of last year, uh, as people were in Hawaii vacationing there was an alert that popped up on their phone. Literally, this was the, uh, 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 the, the thing on the phone. Ballistic missiles threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. Imagine you're on vacation in Hawaii and you get this, that ballistic nuclear missiles are coming your way and you're gonna die. Imagine how you would feel. These, these people who were like, like scared to death, they, they were this flashed on cell phones, television screens, um, and it was put out by the Hawaii Emergency Management Agency. And what they found out 38 minutes later, after all these people were having a heart attack, was that it was actually a mistake. The guy had pulled down the wrong text-based drop-down menu. (laughs) They were using an old PC, and they clicked on the wrong thing. It says, if it was a mistake and someone pushed a button they shouldn't have pushed, then why the 30-minute delay some of the representative asked? In other words, imagine for 38 minutes, you're thinking this is it. How scary would that be? But you see, for a Christian, we should never be scared. Because whether we have one minute or 38 minutes, here's the key. That we should always live in anticipation that Christ will come back at any moment. And you know what happens when we have that framework? It changes how we live in the present. Imagine if Jesus could come back tomorrow. How would you live your life differently? See, we asked that question, right? If you only had like 24 hours to live, what would you do? Well, hopefully, the answer to that is, is we wouldn't change anything, that we would be continually serving the Lord faithfully. But one of the greatest catalysts for revival throughout history has always been the fact that when people start getting an awareness that Christ is coming back at any moment, it actually changes people's fervency and, and urgency for the gospel. The Second Great Awakening, uh, which was uh, uh, happened in America in the uh, 19th century, it, was, it got so much momentum that, that people were coming to Christ in, in droves. But the key catalyst for that revival was the anticipated second coming of Jesus. The last time America had a revival uh, or, or Southern California had a revival was a, a guy named Chuck Smith called Calvary Chapel. You guys, some of you may have heard of it. And you know what Chuck did? He preached one simple message. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. They had a whole... Um, uh, a music label called Maranatha. You know what the, the word Maranatha means? Lord Jesus, come quickly. The Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s was, a, was catalyzed by the simple awareness that Jesus can come back any moment. And so for us as Christians, we have no fear of death because if we die, we're going to be with Jesus. And if we're here when Jesus comes back, we're going to be with him. So the last point is important, that the benefit that we can have is we can have a life of encouragement. I like how he ends verse 18. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. You know, when you are reminded that Jesus is the Lord of your life, he's also the Lord of your death, it doesn't matter what happens in many ways, because everything that happens on this earth is, is very temporal. Now, most of us in this room, I would say, we're, we're blessed. We're highly educated. We have good jobs. We have good families and all that. But what if one day you find out that everything you have will be taken away from you? I was in Kansas City on Friday, and we were eating at the steak uh, dinner place. Uh, so, so part of my job as Uh, the senior pastor of our church, is I oversee this thing called Made to Flourish uh, Residency. And so we have Cree and Daniel. And so I have to go to Kansas City. And in Kansas City, uh, we have all the residency coordinators meet. So we met at a dinner place uh, called Plaza 3 Steakhouse, right in the middle of Kansas City in one of a real affluent uh, neighborhood. And it was this amazing steakhouse. So we're sitting there in this steakhouse. And the owner and his wife, were well, probably in their 70s, uh, were sitting with us. And he's a Palestinian Christian who came to America a long time ago when he was uh, before all the Palestinian-Israeli uh, conflict. And he was sharing with us a story of how he came to America, had nothing, and then made $5 million, and then a few years later, he lost it all. And, and, and we're, as we're listening to this story, it's like a roller coaster ride of life, right? And he was just saying, as he became a Christian because he realized that life is so unpredictable. But the only predictability that we have as Christians is our faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what keeps me going. You know, as a, as a Christian, I, I'm so thankful for the hope that I have in Christ. Because if I don't have Jesus, then really what, what hope do I have? It's like, the, make the best out of what you can do. But then what if you're not one of the few that have the good things in this world? And so i want to encourage you. Encourage each other with these words. Hang in there when it gets tough. A word of encouragement really does matter. There was a woman uh, named Paige Hunter. She's 18 years old. And you know what she did? <laughs> there was this bridge in England, in uh, Weirbouth Bridge, in North Thurmbia. And this bridge was notorious for people jumping off and killing themselves. So she wanted to stop that. So all she did was she wrote 40 encouraging notes. She, put it in, 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 uh, she printed it out and she put it in a uh, laminating machine. And she just posted it all on the bridge. And because she did that, six lives were saved from jumping. Just by reading her letter of encouragement. And I think about Paul's writing here. Say, look, there's more to this life than this life. There's more to the death of your loved ones than just death. That ultimately Jesus is the one who comes. And here's the thing, that as we anticipate Christ coming back, it gives us hope for today. Let's pray.